This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Steve Nellis. That's Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how you doing? Pretty good. Straight deadline day. Do you like this day? Eh, I mean, it's kind of like, you know what? It's fun on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, I would never watch like a broadcast that starts at like 8.30 in the morning because you're just waiting around. But like in the Twitter age, it's much more palatable. It's the... For me, like when I was just a fan, it was always fun. Mm. Uh, it was just like, what, what's going to happen? But also, I think it was more fun before I spent all day on Twitter. Mm. Because when you're on Twitter, then it's like, yeah, do you know what's going on? But sure. when you just, you're just watching the broadcast, you're just watching, listening to radio, whatever, it's like, everything's kind of a surprise. It's kind of nice. We lose that innocence when we're doing this true. all day long. Um, but yeah, lots to talk about the trade deadline. Not a ton of big trades, not a lot of huge surprises. But the first one I want to talk about. Uh, happened earlier today. Marc-Andre Fleury going to the Minnesota Wild and the Minnesota ended up trading up uh, Kakinen. When you're looking at that, it was traded for a draft pick. Um, that's a big pickup for the Minnesota Wild. It really is. And, you, you know, you look at that Minnesota team and they've come on strong this season. Obviously, you know, when you have a, a gem like Kirill Kaprizov right at the top, you want to maximize what you can do. And they're in a tough division with Colorado. Not to mention St. Louis and Nashville, who are very much playoff-style teams. So Minnesota, you know what? They weren't getting the goaltending they needed from Cam Talbot to, to be a legit contender in that division. With Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, sure, he hasn't had great numbers this year, but that Chicago team he played for was horrible defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know what Marc-Andre Fleury can do. When he's on top of his game... He has won Stanley Cups. He has also supported Stanley Cup winners. Mm -hmm. He's been in that environment. He's seen it all in his career. So, you know, I I mean, if you were looking to upgrade in net, I mean, Fleury was the guy. And, you know, it's funny. In in weeks prior, we had said, oh, could he go to Edmonton? You know, is Washington a possibility? Mm -hmm. Minnesota got, they got the guy. They they got the guy, and it's something where they didn't have to give up a lot. And the Blackhawks... What an incredible investment that was. They gave away nothing to acquire him, a prospect who ended up going overseas. Um, So that one's a big one. But it's like we've talked about in the past. It's like if you're going to get a goalie, it was flurry or bust, essentially. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Um, You know, goaltending has been very hard to come by in the NHL in the past few years. If you don't have somebody internal step up, as we see with, you know, Igor Shesterkin, with the Ranger, who has gone from goalie of the future to... Vesna potential heart winner this season. You know, you got to f- find those guys somewhere, and it's not easy. So, you know, when you can strike and get a guy like Fleury, who has all the elements and has, you know, done everything, that's a, that's a huge pickup for, for Bill Guerin. I like this one. In Minnesota, they're a team that it, it's going to be a pretty competitive Western Conference. This will give them a good push. They've got a guy who, like, he, he just won the Vezina Trophy last year. We know how good he is. Yeah, it's, it's not been a statistically great year. A lot of that's due to him playing the Blackhawks. He hasn't played overall in general, probably as good as he was in Vegas. Better team last year. Mm. Let's see what he could do with a team that's definitely got the strength. Let's talk about another team that made a really big move, Claude Giroux, to the Florida Panthers. That was a couple days ago. And this was one where... There, it seemed like there was a couple teams for sure he would go to, being that, Colorado, but that ended up becoming the one team where he was going to go. What are your thoughts on uh, what happened there? 
Well, I mean, it was certainly a big statement for the Panthers. And I, I feel like they've been making a lot of statements on the ice this season with their play. And this was a way for GM Bill Zito to say, let's, let's go all the way, guys. Like, I believe in this group. Let's add to it. And, you know, again, they're in a tough division, too. They're going to have to go through some combination of Tampa, Toronto, Boston, probably two of those teams just to get out of the division. That's not easy. So you load up as much as you can. Now, the Aaron Eckblad injury, very concerning mm-hmm. on the back end. That could really kind of deep six them. But, you know, you try to stay positive if you're a Panthers fan and say, look, we got Claude Giroux, a guy that has excellent high-end skill, very versatile. You know, he can obviously play center, but we've seen him on the wing before in Philly when he played with Sean Couturier, and it was a great combination. Now you look at Florida, you got Alexander Barkov, uh, a guy who is an even better two-way center than Sean Couturier, and Sean Couturier is pretty good. Um, But, I mean, Alexander Barkov has been absolutely fantastic for Florida, particularly this season. So you think of, you know, potentially having Giroux on his wing and then all the other weapons you still have in your lineup, including Jonathan Huberto. I mean, that's a really fun attack. And, you know, they're going to be going up against some pretty big forwards uh, in terms of either skill or two-way ability when you think of Austin Matthews, Nikita Kucherov, Patrice Bergeron, all those other opponents. So adding Giroux, obviously a, a Big move for the Panthers. And it's been a kind of a topic the last couple of years. One of the biggest things hurting Florida was the lack of scoring depth and how they were pretty much a one-line team. But now you get a guy like Giroux and you bring out guys like Reinhardt and Duclair has been good and, and Lundell. And it's like this team is about as strong as we've ever seen the Florida Panthers in franchise history. Oh, certainly. I mean, this yeah, this is far and away the best Panthers team. Even the one that went to the Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, that was more of a sort of grinding, like, you know, team first idea. Whereas, as you mentioned, there's just so many different options there. And, you know, they've been getting much better goaltending from Sergei Borovsky this year than they did last year. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously a huge component. And again, I think the Ekblad injury, when he comes back, is going to be a huge X factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, you know, obviously they did pick up Ben Sherratt, but that was not to replace Aaron Ekblad no. by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. No, no. That was to augment uh, a blue line core that. You know, other than Ekblad and Mackenzie Weger, I think was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, if you're going for it, you had to make some upgrades. So you just hope that they didn't make some upgrades but then lose ground because of the Ekblad injury. Shifting gears to Mark Giordano to Toronto. A lot of the talk was, is this team going to acquire a goaltender? They did. They signed Harry Sateri, and he was on the team for 24 hours, and right. now he's an Arizona Coyote. Um, but you look at that, that's... One of the bigger defensive defensemen that were available in the market, I know a lot of people said Jacob Chicker. He was never going to get traded. That was stupid from the beginning. Giordano was traded, though. So what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a very interesting pickup for the Leafs because when they're all healthy, all of a sudden you look at that blue line and you say, okay, well, this is pretty formidable. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily have a Norris Trophy guy, but you look at Riley, Brody, Muzzin when he's healthy, and now you add Giordano to the mix. And then, of course, you know, I'm, I'm still a big proponent of Rasmus Sandin, even though he's had his ups and downs this year. You know, Giordano, 
we know he can still munch a lot of minutes. And he doesn't necessarily have to do that in Toronto, but what it does is it spreads out the load so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he can do a lot back there. I think at this point in his career, he's going to make more of an impact on the defensive side, which is fine because, you know, as I sort of mentioned, you know, Toronto has so many weapons up front, whether it's Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. You know, they don't need a lot of help on the back end. They just need guys that can transition the puck up. I mean, Morgan Riley's got some pretty nice offensive hops to his game. But, you know, Giordano, I think it's a nice bit of experience on the back end for the Leafs. Also, you know, again, a guy who's never won the cup before. So Mm -hmm. we know he's coming towards the end of his career. It's the added motivation of let's do this for Gio. I mean, they can sort of say, let's do it for Wayne Simmons. Let's do it for Jason Spezza as well. But, you know, it's just all that camaraderie can be really great. And he wanted to be there, which is important. Uh, I would also say, too, adding Colin Blackwell, kind Mm -hmm. of an underrated part of that trade where, you know, especially when he was with the Rangers, Colin Blackwell uh, did a lot of great things. And I think on that Leafs team, again, augmenting the bottom six and making, you know, those matchups more difficult for opponents is going to help the top six as well. So overall, a really good trade that cost them draft picks, but no real prospect. It's worth it. Like Joe Dano was, was it two years ago we won the, the Norris Trophy, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, Blackwell, I love that. It's like that very underrated guy, especially if they're looking to maybe, let's see how much longer he'll be at the team type thing in the next couple of years uh, as they maybe look to do some changes in the bottom six. Um, and then Joe Dano was definitely a step up from uh, Travis Dermott, who they traded the Vancouver Canucks. And that's something where they had a lot of young guys on, on the Leafs defense, and they were make, some of them were making mistakes. Guys like <coughs> Logan and Sandine had some off moments. Yeah. This gives them something where this guy could be a huge mentor for those players. Because mm-hmm. for as good as Morgan Riley is, as good as Jake Muzzin is when he's healthy, bringing a Mark Giordano, that could be one of the best veteran presents you could ask for in the blue line. Yeah, very true. And I mean, you make a great... He's a cap- he was a captain. He was a captain. And you make a really good point there. And, you know, like Justin Hall is another example mm-hmm. of a player who's made a significant amount of mistakes this season. Um, and I, I think what happened, it's too bad. I mean, I do like Travis Dermott. I, I hope he does well in Vancouver. I think he will. I think he will, too. I think it was just a situation where Toronto had those three or four young guys that were all getting experience, but they all had their ups and downs, and the Leafs aren't really in a position right now where they can try out guys. You know, it's like... They have, to make, they have to make it past the first round this year. That is job number one for this franchise. Obviously, the heat is searing, not only in Toronto, but just the national and, and even the, the league-wide spotlight is on the Leafs. So they weren't in a position where they could have guys learn on the job in the playoffs. And, you know, Dermot and Hall had their struggles last year in the playoffs as well. So, you know, bringing in uh, Lyubushkin uh, mm-hmm. from Arizona earlier on, I think that helps too because he's just a steady, stable defensive guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Giordano obviously really bolsters that top four that they have there and, and also allows them to push some guys down a little bit further into spots that they would be more comfortable with. Next one I want to talk about is another defenseman, uh, Nick Letty to the San Luis Blues. Mm. Uh, what do you like about that? Well, I think Nick Letty, Nick Letty is a really underrated player, even though he's been in the NHL for so long. Something I've, I've observed over the years is that there are certain sort of glue guy defensemen that you don't know you're missing until they're gone. And I think that's what the New York Islanders found out, um, is that once Nick Letty was gone, Things just didn't come together for them, and you know Devontae's Matt, too. But I think they also 
Yeah, he had already he had been gone longer than yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt Niskanen was a similar player where he was such a good mentor for other blue liners. You know when he played for Washington. Mm -hmm. So I think with Nick Letty, not that the Blues are a young team by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just a guy that plays his role, does so many little things right, and then again he takes minutes where you know for Colton Pareko and Tori Krug and then you know to a lesser extent Justin Falk it just evens things out a little more it's a guy you know you can trust for a certain amount of minutes and it just helps the overall roster structure in St. Louis and again this is a team where I mean other than questions in net is it Huso is it Bennington you know you look at St. Louis and say could they make a run this year? Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they won the Stanley Cup. And I know it's a different roster, but there's still a lot of guys that were on that squad. They're an intriguing team in a tough division, but, I mean, somebody's got to come out of it. And you can't just let Colorado no. win the division. You know, you got to push your chips in. And I think St. Louis is doing that, saying, hey, we're still around. We still want to make noise. And when you look at the, the Blues, they've got Scandella, Pareko, Krug, Falk, and now you bring in... Uh, Letty, that's a pretty solid defensive group. It certainly is, and a lot of different skills there, which is always nice. You like the versatility and diversity that you have on that blue line, where you have size, you have skill, you have puck movers, you've got some grit. Uh, it's a really nice combination. Next player I want to talk about is Hampus Lindholm, going to the Boston Bruins, uh, one of the bigger defensive names this year, and signs an eight-year deal. So Boston's mm -hmm. kind of got their guy now going forward. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think it was a very necessary move for the Bruins if they wanted to maximize that window they have right now. And how much longer will the Bruins' window be open with this particular group? It's kind of tough to say. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they still have that high end with Pasternak and Marchand and Bergeron. Uh, and they have, obviously, Taylor Hall as well. But that defense core was really leaning on Charlie McAvoy. And that's kind of unfair for him, as good as Charlie McAvoy is. So Lindholm comes in. Again, a no-fuss guy that can give you a lot of minutes. Also, I point out, in grabbing Josh Brown, you know, people were kind of joking about that trade uh, because you know, it was Zach Sinition, um, you know, a famous miss by the Bruins in the draft. Uh, and you know, Josh Brown is not like a big, sexy name, but he is a big guy that can be a, a pretty good shutdown defenseman. And again, the Bruins just, they needed guys that could play top six minutes. And even if Josh Brown is just a third-pairing guy, you add him to Lindholm, and all of a sudden, the burden on McAvoy is lessened. And again, guys can be put into good roster spots where they might not necessarily have to play as many minutes as they were before because Lindholm can take a lot of those minutes. And then you have another option for that bottom pairing in Josh Brown where he can be that defensive matchup guy. I think the Bruins did pretty well there. Mm -hmm. No, I, that, I, I love that trade for them. And So when you're looking at it, the Ducks, Lindholm, <laughs> big deal. Then they move Raquel to Pittsburgh, Zach Aston-Reese, Dominic Simon, a prospect, and a draft pick. A decent haul, I'd say. I would say so, too. I mean, Ricard Raquel, uh, you know, there was interest from numerous teams, so it's not surprising that Anaheim was, was able to get that haul. You know, Zach Aston Reese was a college free agent out of Northeastern, power forward. You know, he's a bottom six guy. But I do like what Anaheim's putting together here because, you know, you need size, need a little bit of experience. Um, you know, obviously, Ryan Getzlaff is the captain, the mentor, the sort of old guard. And then you have that young core coming up 
with Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Zegers, and I'd even throw Troy Terry in there. But it's nice to have guys that are a little bit older, and, and Zach Aston Reese would certainly qualify there. You know, Sonny Milano is a guy that had a lot of success in Anaheim this season. That was kind of a nice surprise for them. So I, I think it's good because, you know, when you're doing a, a rebuild like Anaheim, and obviously in dealing Raquel and Lindholm and Josh Manson before that, that's obviously what, you know, new GM Pat Verbeek is going for here. You can't just have a ton of kids. You know, you got to have some NHL bodies. You got to get some guys that um, have been around the league for a while. And, you know, I, I think keeping Getzlaff on board will be a big part of that. But, you know, Zach Aston Reese had a couple of years in the league, um, but he's a bit of an older guy. So I think a player like that, it, it might not make a huge impact on the score sheet, but I think it helps. One other trade I really want to talk about is Arteri Lekkinen uh, going to Colorado, Justin Barron and a pick going to Montreal. Um, that's one where there's some pretty solid upside for both teams. Yeah, I would say Which so. Which is kind of what you hope for in a trade, but... <laughs> Certain. And it's kind of funny because when this whole sort of trade deadline, let's call it week, began... It felt like a lot of the valuations were totally out of whack, where certain teams were getting great hauls, other teams were getting like just a couple of so-so picks. But I would say this was a nice little hockey trade where, you know, Colorado, obviously bottom six depth was something they wanted to address. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in getting Andrew Cogliano, mm -hmm. that helps mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but Lekkanen, you know, he can do a lot of different things for you. And I think he'll be valuable in that role for the Avs as they try to march to that Stanley Cup final that has eluded them so far in this new era. And then, you know, when you look at Montreal's perspective, um, you know, I like Justin Barron as a prospect. I think, you know, he's gone through some injuries and uh, obviously he had the blood clot uh, during his draft year that dropped his status where, you know, objectively he was looking like he could be kind of a 10 to 15 guy, ended up going 25th overall to Colorado, you know, has done some shutdown defense, uh, playing for Canada's World Junior Team, but obviously has offense as well. He's near almost a point per gamer for the Halifax Mooseheads in his final year of junior. So that's pretty impressive. He's got some size. He can transition the puck up the ice. He's having a pretty decent rookie pro year mm -hmm. in the AHL with the Colorado mm -hmm. Eagles. 20 points in like 45 games. Uh, still a lot of hockey in front of, of this young man. He's only 20. Uh, so, yeah, nice little pickup by Montreal. I've, I've really liked what the Habs have been doing lately. Mm -hmm. Check out the, the hockeynews.com for a bit more on that. On Justin Barron in particular, uh, we d at the time of recording this, we do not have the full deals uh, or the full terms of uh, Max Domi going to the Hurricanes, but we do know Domi is going to the Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. and, and this was a team that seemed kind of a quiet deadline up until the very end, and they signed Kokanemi to an eight-year deal of four point eight two million per season. Um, but Domi with the Hurricanes, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, and I, I like it from a depth perspective. Uh, from what I saw, they got him for prospect Aiden Hershuk. Uh, who plays for Boston College, uh, played for the NTDP before that. He's got some offensive upside to his game, but, you know... the Florida is involved in this deal, too. Yeah, I, th I believe Florida is going to help yes. make the money work. Um, but, I mean, really not a high price to pay mm -hmm. for Domi. And, you know, he's a guy that, again, he's got some versatility. I, I don't see him as a center, but if you need him to be a center, he, he can do that. You know, obviously he brings physicality. There is some scoring potential there. You know, Carolina, obviously they have that high-end upside with uh, Aho and Taravainen and Svechnikov. But, you know, when I was looking at them for playoff preview, 
it was like, yeah, they could use a little more scoring punch. So if Domi can find his feet right off the hop, I think he'll be very helpful for them. Were there any players that kind of really surprised you weren't traded? For me, it's Phil Castle because it seemed like he was 100% going to be traded. Mm-hmm. Um, there was all that talk. And, and another one, I, I would have thought that the Islanders would give Chara one more chance at the Stanley Cup. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was all that Jacob Chikrin talk. And it, it didn't really make sense. But at the same time, when so many people are talking about it, you have to say, okay, well, if they were going to move him, you got to listen to those. What would the haul be? And obviously, it would have been pretty big. Um, You know, Carson Soucy in Seattle is a name that came up, and I don't think he's off the board yet. Not that I've seen. Not that we've seen. Yeah. You know, that's a player that you know has size, has some physicality to him. I would have thought maybe a team would look after the, would look at him. But again, you know, if you're Seattle, I mean, the Kraken made so many deals. You got to keep some players around. You know, you got to have some guys that have, you know, show the new guys where the dressing room is when they show up in the summer and that sort of thing. So I, I can understand why he wasn't moved because he is a pretty uh, intriguing player. But uh, yeah, we saw a lot of moves. But yeah, Kessel is certainly one that is uh, I think was kind of expected, but. The market wasn't there. The market wasn't there. No, it, like you, you still got to think about the future. You still, like, yeah, like it'd be good to give Kessel another shot. It's not like Gobby's getting older. Who, who knows how many more time, or many attempts he's got at it. It's not like it's really making much sense in Arizona, anyways. But then it, it didn't matter. He didn't get traded. Um, yeah, for me, I would have liked to see Char get one more chance. I feel like there's still some teams that could have maybe used someone like him and 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 maybe be an impactful player. A lot of rumors of what was going to happen with James Reimer, mm. but it just like the goalie market was like a whole lot of nothing. There was uh, Michael McNiven got traded to Ottawa uh, mm. for future considerations, I believe. Uh, so he was just on Calgary from Montreal like like a week or two ago. So he's been bouncing around a lot. But otherwise, the goalie market was really quiet. And, and it's like oh, Corpus All get traded, where Georgia get traded. And those two guys, I feel like have been the, the trade talks for three or four years now at this point. Right. And neither have been moved. So while the goalie market seemed interesting heading in, it was a very quiet time. I think so. And, you know, I mean, Braden Holpe was banged up. I think that might have, you know, something to do with it. And then you do have teams where, I mean, if you're Dallas, for example, you're still in the hunt. So you don't want to make a drastic move when when you might need that guy down the stretch. And I think if you look at the Rangers with Georgiev, I mean, it's important to remember, Igor Shosturkin, I mean, we've already mentioned he's been amazing for them. You don't want him playing too much, especially down the stretch where – you know you're a playoff team if you're the Rangers. I mean, the Metropolitan Division, just like the Atlantic, it's basically been decided like months ago mm-hmm. who's a playoff team and who isn't. So, I mean, the Rangers, you know, they can play for seeding and things like that, but you want to make sure Sesterkin is at the top of his game when it comes playoff time. So, you know, Gior gives a guy that they know can steal games for them and has done so on occasion. He's the sort of guy that you want to see in your net down the stretch where you know he's not going to let you down and you can play him and you know he's going to be a good soldier. So I can understand why the Rangers would have wanted to hang on to him. Winners and losers. And maybe I'm just going nuts, but it didn't feel like any teams kind of really were a, like a loser this year. It's like maybe it just didn't feel like any team really made something stupid. There were not a lot of dumb deals in this year. It's true. I think things were pretty measured and... You know, there were some teams that were like, oh, they're being kind of quiet. And then, you know, like with the Rangers, for example, they swoop in at the last second. They get Andrew Kopp. 
they get Tyler Mott mm -hmm. and you say, oh, okay, well, that's kind of what they needed. They needed depth, you know, adding more playoff type guys. You know, they already had Barkley Goodrow. You know, unfortunately, Sammy Blay got hurt this year. He would have been one of their sort of playoff sort of hard guys to play against. So you bring in Cop and Mott and that really helps your bottom six or even your middle six maybe. Um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm surprised Edmonton didn't do too much. Um, you know, we saw uh, they got Brett Kulak who bolsters the defense a little bit. More of a depth guy, I they're, would say. I think they were a better team than they were seven, eight hours ago. Yeah, you know, they didn't do anything drastic. And maybe it's because, you know, they couldn't get a goaltending upgrade. So you say, okay, well, let's not mess with things too much. Um, yeah, otherwise, you know, like a lot of the contenders just made sort of little moves. You know, we mentioned Colorado and then Pittsburgh, um, you know, bringing in Raquel. That's a nice move to bolster that top six, another versatile guy. You know, Washington made a couple of like nice sort of sneaky moves. You know, Marcus Johansson comes back. You know, Ewan Larson is a player that is not really fun to play against. So you want to have him on your side come playoff time. Yeah, not not a lot to really complain about, I would say. For me, I'd say maybe one of the big winners is Seattle. And it's because they made their team worse, which is a good thing because they're in the hunt here for Shane Wright and then kind of whoever becomes number two, number three prospects. Mm -hmm. But also, last I counted, they had 25 draft picks over the next two seasons. They got all the picks. And I'm going to have a story on the hockey news coming up soon about it. But it's like, this is exactly what should have happened from the start. Right. And, and they got it. Um, I would argue one team with loser... Maybe the Vegas Golden Knights for not addressing the goaltending situation. Same thing kind of as the Edmonton Oilers. But at the same time, it's like you've got your guys that you've got, Brisson and, and, and Thompson, but it's like who on the market would give you a big boost outside of like, like to, to, to kind of fill in for Robin Leonard being out? Or, or in Edmonton, yeah. it's like we know Koskinen and Smith are not great, but it's like are, is anybody better than like Stuart Skinner at this point? Like who who's – I think that's kind of the thing that – I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, the worry if you're the Golden Knights is, are we even going to make the playoffs at this point? Like, it's going to be a struggle down the stretch. And, you know, they still have injuries to contend with. And obviously, Robin Lehner is the most pressing right now because mm -hmm. of the position he plays. But I don't think Kelly McCrimmon could really go all in no. on a goalie market that outside of Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't very strong. And again, maybe if Braden Holpe was mm -hmm. healthy and Dallas was a little further down the, the standings, maybe there would have been a fit there, but that didn't happen. And again, the Stars might need Holby down the stretch if he's healthy. So you're kind of stuck, and I think you, you don't want to make a mistake on top of a mistake. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the thing. I, I, I've said I still believe Vegas could do some damage if they get to the playoffs. Totally. I, I did say that before Robin Leonard got hurt. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. He might be done. <laughs> if they're all healthy, if you get Mark Stone back and you see what he can do with Jack Eichel, if you get Pacioretty back, you know, 100% and he can work with Eichel, you know, like you've got all these great options now. They just all have to be healthy at the same time. And again, Laner and Nett. So it's, it's tough. It's, it's some bad luck for the Golden Knights in terms of, when certain injuries happened. Uh, but then, of course, you know, does the Eichel trade even happen if they didn't have that LTIR space? So, a bit of a catch-22 there. Okay, before we wrap this up, um, was there a trade? Like, what would you say your favorite trade of the day was? Maybe there wasn't, like, a huge trade. Maybe something mm. a little more deeper. I'll start to give you a second of it. Uh, the Brian Little trade to Arizona. Oh, yeah. And not because of Brian Little. 
because Nathan Smith. Right. Very good college season. Mm -hmm. I thought he played well in the Olympics, and there has been a lot of news involving players from that American Olympic team in the last like, week uh, between signings and such. Mm -hmm. But he's someone where, if he's to sign soon, could be an impactful player almost immediately for the Coyotes, which for a team near the bottom of the standings is not a huge thing. But it's like, that's, that's something where, like, yeah, sure, they're bringing Brian Little's contract, but they gave away a, a, just a later draft pick to get someone who might actually be an impactful player and wasn't going to be there in, for Winnipeg. I like that deal. Yeah, and you know what? I'll add on to that by pointing out that Arizona also got Jack McBain in a trade with Minnesota, and it's starting to sort of come together for me when it comes to the Coyotes where, you know, okay, they're going to draft pretty high this year. Might even be number one, so you get Shane Wright. If it's number two, maybe take Logan Cooley and, and get another center. But you got Nick Schmaltz. But otherwise, down the middle, not sure about Barrett Hayton. He might not, he might not, might not be one of those guys. When he plays well, he's good. But the yes. problem is it's way too infrequently. Right. So in McBain and Nathan Smith, you have two guys that are two-way centers mm -hmm. who took big steps ahead offensively this year on their college teams. Maybe they're competing for the same spot. Maybe one of them is your second or third line center of the future. So I like that there's competition being set up mm -hmm. in Arizona right now. Now, still a ton of work to do, um, you know, for certain, but they didn't give up that much to get those two guys. So I, I, I like that because it sets up some, some roster battles in the future and two guys that have been coming along really strongly in their college careers. So yeah, I, I like those moves. And, you know, overall, I mean, Claude Giroux, I mean, that was a big one for Florida, no doubt. And, you know, they give up Owen Tippett, but they didn't give up a ton. No. You know, I mean, Bunneman and, and Rubsoff go the, the other way with Giroux. Um, I thought it was a really good haul. And again, you know, Giroux's a pending UFA, mm -hmm. fair enough. Um, but you're going for it if yep. you're Florida. So... The fact that they got him, and then, by extension, prevented another contender, mm -hmm. such as Colorado, for example, maybe even the Rangers. Not only are you getting the guy, you're making sure you don't have to play against the guy at some point down the road, maybe even the Stanley Cup Finals. So I thought that was good. And I did like Montreal's return for Ben Sherrod. I thought getting Ty Smolanik was a pretty nice get for them. Um, so, yeah, I thought there was some pretty nice trades being made. It was funny how... Again, as I said at the top of the podcast, some teams seem to get nothing mm -hmm. and other teams got really good hauls. So it was really weird to figure out the market early on. But uh, overall, uh, a pretty fun deadline. A lot of trades, not a lot of big impactful ones on, on Monday, the, the actual deadline day, but that's okay. Not a lot of mistakes, I think, is kind of a key trend here. Yes. So. All right, well, that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back with, uh, I haven't talked to you, buddy, but we're probably going to do a prospect podcast after the CHL Top Prospect game. Uh, because uh, that's uh, coming up soon. So thank you everyone for watching, listening, and make sure to check out thehockeynews.com for analysis on every single trade, no matter the time.